0: Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Dr. Mark Borg and we're gonna talk about conflict. Now, I don't like conflict, I'm very conflict diverse, I will do anything. Dr. Mark Borg, to not get into conflict, it makes me sick. I want to throw up, and when I argue, oh. my face turns all blotchy red, and I oh. start to cry. There okay. are
1: my conflict tools. Go. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Oh man, well, you, then you are the per. This is the perfect subject for us, right? <laughs> True. <Woo>. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh well okay so look the 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 song for me like I was in a punk band back in the eighties and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the name of my band was All Night Rave and uh and and we you know I wrote all the lyrics and my best friend Jim he wrote all the, the most of the music another guy named Dave Jawar he also wrote music for us with us but the song of conflict for me and it's funny because I I swear to you I've I've sung this song to three different patients today including the guy I just got on phone with like five minutes ago not the phone the zoom um and the song goes like this it goes I want you I do almost as much as I don't Mm -hmm. and I get that little sliver between wanting and not wanting the same person the same activity the same job the same career the same whatever with about the same (laughs) same kids right like I want this I want this I want this almost as much as I don't And that sliver between wanting and not wanting, I think, creates a conflict in our mind. And I believe mistakenly, we often believe that we are supposed to resolve that conflict. We're supposed before we act, before we make the decision and then act on it. So what I'm saying is that I believe that we don't resolve the conflict when we make major decisions and then act on them. What we do when things are really crucially important to us is we take that conflict with us. And that actually becomes an opportunity to think about the ways in which the conflicts that we get into both internally, which we call ambivalence, right? I want something and I don't with about the same intensity. And actually the realistic real life conflicts that we get into from the minor disagreements to the all out war that we might have in a relationship what we currently believe is that even those conflicts are actually opportunities to engage in the ultimate calisthenics for relationship, which is a process that we call rupture and repair. Okay. Meaning that we kind of need rupture, i.e. conflict, the external conflict, because we're talking about two different kinds of conflicts now, right? We're talking about the conflict that you and I get in a fight, number one, or disagree okay. or have an issue. No, that's actually number two. Number one is we just aren't sure that we want this thing. We, uh, you know, we have these mixed feelings, Uh, you know, like we date someone for, say, six years and we're not quite sure. Not quite yet. Right. That that is a category that sometimes I call like non-boyfriend. This is this is a stereotype here in New York. You have these like 40 year old guys that like I'm not quite sure. Anyway, so we got ambivalence is one kind of conflict. And then we've got the, the actual engagement in disagreement. In pain, in fighting, in distancing. And that's the kind of conflict that we use this process of rupture and repair for. We've we've totally turned this notion of conflict resolution on its head because we actually believe that for every single conflict that we get into, we can take it from rupture, which is the conflict itself, all the way through a process of conflict resolution to repair. And by the time we've resolved each one of these conflicts, we're actually in a better, stronger healthier, more intimate, more, more uh, open to vulnerability, more empathetic, and more emotionally invested relationship. So in this sense, conflict is like the best thing that could possibly happen to a couple.
0: Well, but it's you're, you're also talking about, you know, great work relationships and partnerships, you know, what you described my closest business partners and my closest, longest, most loyal clients. We've been through the fire together. You know, yeah. maybe I've made a mistake, they've made a mistake, there's conflict, we have to work it out and we come to a better understanding of each other, a stronger work relationship and a stronger partnership. My work partnerships are 15, 20 years on average. They're not yeah. you know, a couple of years here and there. Yeah. However, <laughs> put me in a room with one of my children who pushes every button under the sun and all of those great mediating, conflict resolution, crisis decision-making scales, boop, right out the window. And mom seems to come in. It's like I've been inhabited by the body snatchers. I uh, can't think, I can't function. When my kid's upset or when I was married to my spouse who had very big anger issues, I was the deer in the headlights, whoo! And I can't think, I can't function. And my question is, in business, there are rules,
1: right? That's right. You know,
0: there's workplace rules, there's client rules. The client is right. You're not right. So there's things like that in your living room at 1030 at night, all bets are off.
1: That's right. And those rules also are what we call boundaries, right? Those are okay. they're, their boundaries. And you know, because you interviewed me on the, uh, on, on one of my books, um, you've interviewed me on several of my books, but one of them you know, we realize that these boundaries are also agreement.
0: Dr. Mark, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is HelloFresh, and I love HelloFresh because they make my life so much easier, especially where meals are concerned. And with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. So I can skip trips to the grocery store, and I can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, the Fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Now, I want to talk about how I use it. My household number varies from week to week. If I have my kid home from college, if he brings a roommate, if he brings a girlfriend, then I have my high schooler and he can have a girlfriend or a best friend come for dinner. Then, to compound matters, I have my 89 year old veteran dad living with me so he can have a buddy that comes over. And then I'm on the West Coast, my whole family's on the East Coast. So at certain times, Times a year, my household can swell from 3 to 4 people up to 10, 11, and 12. And it's really hard for me to feed everybody. So now, HelloFresh makes dinner time a snap with delicious, easy options that'll please everyone at my table. From fit and wholesome, to pescatarian, to veggie, they have a meal plan that suits my lifestyle. Plus, I can swap out proteins, not only for my likings, but for the people that are staying in my household. And if you're not a pro in the kitchen, HelloFresh has foolproof recipes that arrive pre-portioned and easy to prepare in just a few steps. Now, if you're hosting a get-together or you have people coming in and out because it's spring break or it's summer break, check out HelloFresh Market for crowd-pleasing appetizers, snacks, sides, and more for your next gathering. And the best part, you can skip that extra step to the grocery store. That puts more time in my day. HelloFresh cares about quality. That's why their seasonal ingredients are picked at peak ripeness and travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know that they're fresh. Now I want you guys to go to hellofresh.com/coachtalk16 and use code coachtalk16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com/coachtalk16 and use code coachtalk16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. This is why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, and HelloFresh does more than just delicious dinners. Now you can pick from over 40. Weeks weekly recipes, or you can choose from over 100 items to round out your order. Snack, easy lunches, desserts, and pantry necessities. Everything arrives in one box on the delivery day that you choose. So go to HelloFresh.com CoachTalk16 and use code COACHTALK16 for 16 free meals plus Free shipping. You'll be so glad you did. Check out America's number one meal kit. Now, we're talking to Dr. Mark Borg today about conflict resolutions for partnerships and couples. And we were talking about agreements and rules and the things that we do to make our relationships flow more easily, especially in conflict.
1: We make certain kinds of agreements, especially in business, right? We make agreements about things that can be said, things that can't be said. The client is able to say things that I'm not. You know, those are boundaries, but they're also implicit agreements that most of us actually find out a ways of respecting. And of course, if we don't respect those boundaries, those agreements, then what happens? We lose our clients. We get fired. We right. I'm a therapist. I get fired occasionally. Right. <laughs> I usually find that I get fired because I, so, you know, because I sometimes believe that the, the patient and I have established more safety than we actually have. And okay. so I start pushing into an area and I start getting signals from the patient of like, no, I'm not quite ready to go there yet. No, I don't think, I don't, I don't think I can, t- we haven't created enough safety to actually have this discussion. And when I don't listen to that, then I actually wind up inadvertently, I could say, you know, like- <laughs> Going over the boundary, like not quite respecting that the message was we're not there yet. The safety gotcha. has not been established. So I think what you're talking about, and I love that you're talking about it, is one of the basic ingredients of t- conflict resolution is that we have together is created, co-created, developed, and established, maintained a certain sense of safety together. In other words, you're the, uh, the practitioner, and I am the client. And we've developed enough safety that I can come to you with this issue. And every time we get to a little bit of conflict or maybe even more than a little bit, we rely on the safety to allow us to trust the boundary that allow us to go a little further into the actual intimacy of conflict resolution. And I appreciate what you're also saying is that when it comes to those near and dear husbands, wives, children, you know, those boundaries are murky, right? Those oh. boundaries, they're not so well established and they're probably changing all the time right. based on this influx of an eruption of emotion that usually is not so, you know, welcome in more business or even friendship relationships. At sure, times.
0: sure. Well, and they also, you know, these things don't happen at two o'clock in the afternoon over lunch right they happen when you know the pool equipment is broken and it's 10 30 at night and you know my dad who had a stroke has got his underwear on his head like that's not happening in my business environment it's happening in the living room and so and then my other question is so thank you for explaining that is don't you have to have mutual agreement in conflict resolution because if you have like one of my kids is a runner minute conflict happens out the open door sorry i gotta go here gotta go here he's my runner then there's the one who's like the fight or die don't cross my line i'm gonna fight yeah. till i win yeah you have to have a mutual understanding in a relationship even in a fight of yeah. what's what's okay and what's not okay like it's not okay to slam the door it's not okay to raise your voice it's not okay to throw things when do you establish those do you establish them at the beginning of the fight or i'm not going to talk to you until or do you wait till the fight's over and then sit down for rules like when do you put those in a personal relationship and work you handle and what office meetings training sessions you know you get called into the psychologist at the company to tell you you yeah. cannot tell a professional baseball player that he has a million dollar arm but a 10 cent head True
1: story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right. So, okay, so you're asking one of my favorite all-time questions and I have a really pointed answer that I won't give quite yet because, well, let's first establish something. Like one, the most important thing to realize, to recognize for us human beings is that once our emotions, once the limbic system has taken over, that's that deep reptile brain that's still in there that says, now it says four things. We used to think it only said fight or flight. Now we believe it says fight, flight, freeze, or interestingly, fawn, right? that isn't that interesting so now, well, now i'm a
0: fawn and a freezer so yeah <laughs> that's
1: me so you know so you know what i'm talking about so by the time our our psychological defense system has been engaged bets are off right we're already fight flight fawn, freeze and the funny thing is i always I, you know me i have these problems with the way people use words and one of the problems i have is that people call that a fight flight response that's not a response not the reaction right mm-hmm. It's a reaction. It's a fight, flight, bond, freeze reaction. And that means that our brain's taken over and therefore we cannot think. We're too busy involved in the psychological defense. It's going to put us into a place of safety, which usually means shutting down, which usually means putting our psychological hands over our ears and going blah, 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 blah. So I can't hear anything that you're saying because I'm busy protecting myself from the terror that I'm feeling from being attacked. Which means, to your question, to the answer to your question, is we have to go back. We have to start establishing in any relationship, if we can, a little intimate, a little vulnerable, it's a little risky, but we have to establish what you're talking about, these boundaries, these ground rules, before we ever fight. And usually the time that we're most willing to have a conversation before we have a fight is between fights, right? Right. Let's say we have this horrible fight. We're like, oh, my God, I never want to treat you like that again. So let's talk. And here is what my wife and I have discovered through many, many years of being married, of having conflict, of discovering rupture and repair in the literature, of writing about it, of thinking about it, of publishing books, of giving lectures, of seeing thousands of patients in couple therapy, and going around the world and blah, blah, blah. And even in being ourselves involved in a couple peer support group for the last 15 years, which I'd say, of all the things I just mentioned, is really the most helpful, really. And here's what we've discovered, two rules, two ground rules that we absolutely and unequivocally follow when we are successfully Involved in conflict resolution, which even as couple shrinks were not always you know, like it's not always <laughs> successful. You know? you know me. Um, so here, here are the two rules. Like, write this down everybody. I got my pen this, this ready. Is, this, right. This is the goal. This is this is the discovery that can save every marriage. This is the discovery that can save every relationship. This is a discovery that will that will change the way we deal with conflict, however. We both have to agree to this and we have to agree to this as wholeheartedly and enthusiastically as we possibly can, because we're going to get it wrong, but we at least have to agree to this going in and then we have a chance. So here are the two rules. One, okay. when it comes to the conflict, when it comes to the problem, when it comes to the issue that we are discussing and we've hit conflict and we've hit rupture and now we're working toward repairing rule number one, keep the focus on yourself.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Okay, we got that one. Want to hear rule number two? Yeah, ready. Refer to rule number one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I am telling you, no joke. Like you must, if it, if you're going to successfully resolve a legitimate conflict, in what you. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, my phone got. It connected there. Um, if you're going to resolve it, you must, because we don't have any power over our partner, our child, our colleague, our boss, our sister-in-law, our next door neighbor. We don't have any control over their part of the conflict. What we have is an opportunity to hit pause. That's the first step that we have in, in hope, in good conflict resolution, hit pause, so that I can not turn to my fight or flight fawn freeze reaction right so first i hit pause because i don't have any control initially over what my amygdala is doing to my to my to my mouth to my thoughts to my head to my action so i hit pause as quickly as i possibly can so that i don't say something or do something impulsive to be destructive okay number one hit pause this is then number two is i start thinking i start asking myself those two questions although we can boil it down to one now So I asked myself, what was my part in that? That's phase two, which we call accountability. In accountability, what we do is we do our best to try to understand what what we just said, how we contributed to the problem. What is our history of this problem? Does this problem have a history both in our relationship and in our actual family histories and everything we bring into us? So we sit in that accountability. We do what's called inventory. And inventory is this process of understanding, you know, sort of what we're bringing to the problem and also kind of understanding our history of offering solutions to the problem. So while we're in pause, we're in this inventory and the inventory does this funny thing. Once we start really thinking about our part in contributing to the problem and thinking about how we might contribute to the solution, it starts to quiet our amygdala. Mm. It starts to quiet our fight, flight, freeze, fawn reaction. It starts to allow us to actually think a little more clearly. And once we start thinking about our part in it, and we know start to realize this might take a little bit of time, by the way. I mean, pause doesn't necessarily happen in five minutes. For us, my wife and I, sometimes pause requires us to actually put this whole conflict on the on the burner. It has happened that it's required a whole overnight period, which I don't like. Like I like me, I come to fights with like Okay, okay, we got in a big fight. Uh, I believe that we have tools to fix it, so let's fix it right away. My wife is like, my "Eh, my pause takes a little longer than that, you know, and it drives me nuts. Sometimes we'll get in fights about not being able to resolve the fight so quickly. Sure. And right, so we wipe out doubly, but it still requires this process, hitting pause again and coming back and doing inventory. And when we're finding- Does this get
0: complicated by, like, you know, the type of relationship it is, your belief systems, your culture, your language? You know, I was married, you know, to someone from a different different culture, and Uh, that was a lot of the base, and our values were different, and our ideas of how relationships should go were different, which is no surprise why it, you know, blew up on any number of levels.
1: In fact, we've written a chapter uh in this upcoming book called A Culture of Two, where we where we realize that, like, yeah, I mean it it it's not an absolute necessity, but I think conflict resolution will be much more efficient if you do have a handle on what those cultural differences are, if you do have a kind of an openness and acceptance about different my wife's uh my wife's uh, you know. From my wife is originally from Japan, and her primary language is Japanese. You know, she's and so English is a second language, and absolutely, over the years, we've had to make room for her culture, for the cultural differences, for the way that men and women interact in her head in Japan, for her parents, and the way different ways that my family. I'm from California. They're right down the road from you, right. from Beijing, Babel Island, and um, yeah. So I mean, I love what you're saying because I, I again, I think there will always be these difficulties in cultural understandings. I also think interest, like here's a caveat. I also think if I grew up next door to a person and we were the same race and we were from the same culture and we were from the same SES and we practiced the same religion and we had the same friends and we went to the same schools and we had the same profession. I still think we would be in two very different cultures because of the way culture gets transmitted to us from our family. So interestingly, I actually sometimes think that because my wife and I are from such vastly different cultures, rather than creating more problems in our conflict, I think it, I mean, initially, yes, Huge problem. I mean, when we first started fighting, my wife actually, (laughs) I'm just going to be honest here. My wife, when things got really bad in the beginning, before we discovered this conflict resolution thing and, and, and we're working on it, my wife actually took our first child to Japan. I could see twice, that. Twice! <laughs> twice. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so yeah, we had a very different uh you know opinion on conflict resolution. And that was real pro- real problem. Yes. That was, fortunately, I could tell you that was you know 16 years ago. But um but anyway, so so yes no, but you're
0: right because you're talking about, you know, when you talk when you were talking about that same culture, same thing, same everything, you've got the same problem with siblings yeah. who had like, like I look at me and my one sibling that just drives me freaking bananas. Yeah. And, you know, we're both girls. We have the same mother, same father. We're about five years apart. Like, so not, you know, it's not like 20 years apart or 10 yeah. years apart. Both have world-class educations. Both have the same parents. Both have the same things. Why do we, we always talk sometimes when we're getting along, it's like, were we raised in the same family? Yeah.
1: Yes, because
0: there's different rules for different if you're I'm the baby, so therefore I think I'm the most perfect, they say I'm the most spoiled when I look at the firstborn, they're like they're the leader I'm like no they're the experimental freak mom and dad. (laughs) You know, but you've got all these you know ways that you orient in the world and I think culture is the obvious one.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, like
0: yeah. my husband's culture tend to be more whiny and complainy, and my my culture was German Polish, suck it up, buttercup. You have no feelings. Yeah, like yeah, why would yeah, you have yeah, feelings? Yeah, right, right. You know, so you know, the obvious is the culture, but it's the starting point, the not so obvious or the unidentified conflict is that different roles we play in the family, yes, birth order, is. and then yeah. how about success level? You know, That's straight right. A student. My sister was a straight A student. She played the flute. You know, I played hockey and yeah. I was loud and I yeah. had scabs on my legs and she'd call me battle legs. Like, you know, all of these things yeah. that that yeah. evolve. we all have a different culture, even within our family.
1: I love that. I could, I, you're, you're singing my song, like not, not the first one, but this second one, right? <laughs> like, right? No, it's so true. I even tell people all the time, like, look, even the where your parents were at when you were born, who knows, like maybe parents were still struggling when the first kid's born, maybe the second kid's born, they've, uh, they've hit the big time. And now they're feeling more secure and more safe. Oh, then then maybe the third one comes and there was some catastrophe financially, or there was some major death in the family. All of these things are going to affect the parent and where they're at when they are raising us. So, you know, all these things go into it. So I, I couldn't agree with you more and still the mechanism of hitting pause, accounting for our part in it. The more accountability you can take, the more powerful you will be in your contribution to the solution. The more I find I had a part in the problem, the better I will be able to contribute to the solution, which is the third stage. So, on the third, so the first stage is pause. The second stage is accountability, which is where we do this inventory. In the third stage, we hit collaboration. And in collaboration, we come with our Accountability is we come with our inventories. And what we do is, in a very structured kind of conversation, we call it a meeting in the middle, we talk about our part of the problem. Interestingly, we even leave a little caveat to suggest or to allow that, like, maybe we're going to blow it. You know, maybe we're going to come and we, one of the rules is you keep the focus on both, two of the rules are you keep the focus on yourself. You speak from I. You only mm. talk about your part in the problem, but you also get to talk about how you want to contribute to the solution. But like, if you get it, if I get into that meeting in the middle and I can't help it, I'm like, yeah, I did this because you. That's no. okay. <laughs> hit, well, no, we just like call a timeout and then and then try it again. We just say like because it's rupture and repair. You right. get to make mistakes. You get to make mistakes, and every mistake you make is an opportunity to get just a little bit better the next time. So then you spend this time and we have it structured. So everybody gets to talk for three minutes. Like I get to talk for three minutes. You don't interrupt me. You just listen to me talking about my part of the problem. If I spend those three minutes talking about my part of the problem, then you get your three minutes. And then you're not responding to me. You're talking about your part of the problem, like how you contributed to it. And then we go again, like maybe three more minutes the next time. And again, now we're talking more about solution. And then we do it again. Then we're through with the collaboration stage. And the next stage is experiment. Now we get to take these lessons that we've learned, these insights that we've learned from taking responsibility for our part. And we get to kind of construct how we might apply these learnings to the next time we get in a fight. So it's to your point about what do you do? See, these become the new agreements that you take into your next fight. Think about it. Most of us don't have any of this in our mind. Most of us are just like, okay, you know, what did you just call me? And then you're off to the... And And you you said this
0: and that made me mad and you did this and you did that. Yeah, Yeah.
1: like even some of the well-established conflict resolution, I love nonviolent communication, that stuff is so good. It's just, if we're not careful, it's like, it still is so much focused on you. Like I, and here is assertiveness training tells us to say, you know, I feel scared when you you know, fill in the blanks, you know, when you raise your voice and it's, it, it's good stuff. It's just that it's, it, it's still, it, it, it triggers those psychological defenses. Yeah. So it makes it hard because we have a goal of achieving four, four things via this process of rupture and repair. And the four things we're always encouraging people to, to grab hold of to like use as resources are one vulnerability yep. Two empathy Three, intimacy, meaning that we accept each other and ourselves as we are. And four is emotional investment. Because the more emotionally investment we are, invested we are in each other in the relationship, the better we will be able to keep the focus on ourselves, to rupture and then repair. So, okay. So now we experiment with different ways in which we might bring our new updated, because every time we go from rupture and repair, we have an updated conflict resolution model every right. single time. So now we're going to experiment with what that might be like. And then the final uh, stage is we reset. We reset. We go back to like whatever our status quo is, <laughs> if possible. Having learned all this, having been involved in active, active, uh, you know, uh, endeavor to, to really amend something that broken. It's not just I'm sorry, right? It's really putting our actions where our mouth is.
0: And strengthening the bone after it broke.
1: That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And never missing an opportunity, if possible, to use this model to strengthen the bone, as you said, every single time. I mean, love we've been my wife and I've been de- developing this over 15 years. So we really and we're still working, we're still practicing. You know, it's yeah. still a, it's still a practice.
0: I love that. I love that. So how can people find your books and tell us a little bit about your books and then we'll call it a day.
1: All right. Well, my um, let's see. I, you know, I worked on three books with Grant Brenner and Danny Barry, and, and that was the Irrelationship series, Irrelationship, Relationship Sanity and Making Your Crazy Work for You. And then the other book that you interviewed me on. Can I say it on this program?
0: Sure you can. Yep. OK. Can. Don't be
1: don't be a dick. Uh, change your uh, change yourself, change your world. All of those are on Amazon. My publisher is Central Recovery Press. And I just and, and so, you know, look on Amazon. You can Google me. I'm Mark B. Borg, Jr. And I'd love for you to reach out to me. And I love being on your show, Sandra.
0: I do too. All right. We'll be back again (laughs) soon with another great episode. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach Talk Radio.